I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, tested. For everyone at every point on the continuum, students, parents, teachers, administrators, superintendents, board members, and legislators and other elected and appointed officials committed to success in public education, this has been a year from hell. The coronavirus alone, or the economic downturn alone, or the racial reckoning alone, or the winter storm alone, would have been bad enough, would have created monumental problems for schools and school districts. But all four, back to back to back to back, stacked up like planes at DFW, man, oh man. Let us stipulate that under the best circumstances, public ed has its work cut out for it. We have enrolled in Texas in K through 12, 5.5 million future citizens of the Republic, as TEA Commissioner Mike Morath likes to say. They're also future citizens of an increasingly complicated world that desperately needs them to be prepared for the opportunities and obligations ahead. They are our future friends and neighbors, our future workforce, our future leaders. The accident of timing that forced them to endure disruption and dislocation, the likes of which we've never experienced before, doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to them. They deserve a world-class education. But do we have the means, motivation, and resources to give them one? My guest and I have been discussing that question for years. Latanya Goffney is the superintendent of Aldine Independent School District in Harris County, widely acknowledged by her peers to be one of the very best in Texas at what she does. She was named Superintendent of the Year by the Texas Association of School Boards in 2017, and she's been nominated for numerous national awards. A native of the town of Cold Spring in San Jacinto County, Dr. Goffney previously led Lufkin Independent School District in East Texas, and she's a former teacher and principal. She sees public education from all sides and all angles, feels the weight and the burdens and the pressure points each day alongside Aldine ISD's nearly 9,000 employees and nearly 67,000 students. At the end of her fourth year in her current job, her focus is on improving literacy, securing equitable funding, expanding access to advanced placement and other honors courses, and increasing college readiness. During her tenure, she's been rewarded with significant bumps in the state's accountability ratings for both her district and her schools. Last summer, she led an effort by her colleagues and community members to solve for the pandemic year's likely impact. But no amount of preparation was enough for what was to come. As she told me when we talked on the morning of Monday, May 3rd, day 112 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by the Texas Association of School Administrators, promoting, providing, and developing leaders who create and sustain student-centered schools and develop future-ready students. Learn more at tasanet.org. And by the Texas Association of School Boards, Strong public schools keep Texas strong. Show your support at texansforstrongpublicschools.org. And raise your hand, Texas. 
whose new podcast, Intersect Ed, is where the stories of Texas public education policy and practice meet. RaiseYourHandTexas.org slash podcast. And Philanthropy Advocates, their work to advance education policy, cradle to career, is more important than ever. And Educate Texas, stimulating creative solutions to key educational challenges throughout the state. More at edtx.org. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, proud to support this conversation because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of Texans. As we sit here today, how many days are left in the school year? Surely you're Xing them off on your calendar like a prisoner awaiting the end of her sentence. You know what, Evan? Actually, I haven't had time to even count, but I think there are about five weeks left for us. Our last day uh, is right before Memorial Day. So, yeah, uh, yeah so about four or five weeks. <laughs> so coming, coming down to the wire. Coming down to the wire. Right. Is there anything uh, normal about these last couple of weeks? Is it going to be normal? Will it seem normal? Tell me how they're going to go. Well, I don't know what you define as normal, but I can tell you that the, the final weeks are exciting. Actually, today, uh, prior to our interview, I was welcoming students back to school probably for the seventh time because, you know, uh, as we look back, it seems like so long ago, but it was in March that we did an a, a interview for you about what was happening with our uh, our district in relation to COVID-19 and how we were responding. And it's crazy, like a year later where we are. And so uh, to see students learning at school today, it was just powerful. And they've been transitioning all year. You know, Texas, we were ahead of the curve and I'm actually so thankful, but we recognize that the more students we have learning at school, uh, the better opportunities they're going to have to make sure they have the tools they need to be successful. So today I was on the campuses and uh, we gave one last push. We basically said, come on, finish strong. I know we only have uh, three or four more weeks, but we really want our students who can and are willing to come back to school to finish. And so uh, it was their first time coming into the building and you could see the excitement for many of them and uh, just exciting. So uh, normal, I'm not sure, but exciting is for sure. And then- Well, well closer to normal, Dr. Goffney, <laughs> right? Closer because... to normal. And so the other excitement is, you know, as we're thinking about our seniors. So I spent a lot of time this morning thinking about um, our, uh, with our, our pre-K students and we went by high school, but even our class of 2021, uh, they've already celebrated their proms. And that was exciting for us. Uh, you know, we had to put procedures in place. And last year at this time, we were having to cancel proms and cancel graduations. And now we're making preparations for graduation. So, so, so you had, let, let me be clear about this. So you had a prom this year in person for your Oh, senior. yes, sir. Yes, sir. All of our proms have, have been in person. We have uh, nine high schools and uh, the majority of them have already had their proms in person. But of course, they look different than they've looked in the past. But we put protocols and procedures in place that we've become accustomed to uh, over the past year. And consequently, we were able to do this year what we weren't able to do last year. And, and I'm very proud of it. Right. So back, back to today. So you said you were welcoming back onto campus for the first time, the last batch of students. You have been staging them to return to school in person over the last couple of weeks or months. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, in um, Texas, we were very fortunate. As you know, we, <laughs> we had to have them back. Really, uh, we started school in August. Well, we started 100% remote here in uh, Aldine ISD. And remember, um, we said that we were gonna go as fast as we could, but as slow as we must. And because of the conditions surrounding our community, we had to go very slow because we had to get it right. 
Yeah. Um, and so long story short, other schools around the state, they were back in school late August, September, October, uh, transitioning in. And so we were one of the slower ones in the Houston area to transition in again because of the positivity rate being as high as it was. But we were strategic too. We were uh, unrelenting in our protocols and consequently as we phased them in. So we started the first three weeks remote, 100% remote. And then we started phasing in the lowest grade level at every campus. So week one, we phased in our pre-K students and then we our sixth grade students, our ninth grade students. And then week two, we phased in the next grade level. Week three, we phased in the next grade level. Yeah. And um, each nine weeks though, our parents had a choice. They could choose learning at home or learning at school based on the needs of their family. And so we had all those opportunities in which we had some changes, but then as we've gone through the fall semester and we have been very proud that there has been no spread on any of our campuses. Uh, we have never had to close down a wing. We haven't had to close down a school. We haven't had, wow. I mean, the numbers have been extremely low and all of the cases have been uh, brought into the school. They, they weren't originating at the school. So we're very proud very proud of that. And so this today, <laughs> um, as our students have been learning at home, learning at school, and we've seen the numbers though, you know, while we're proud of our learning uh, all being anywhere, uh, whether you're learning at home, learning at school, we want you to be learning. Uh, we recognize that the best place for our students to be are in the classroom. So one right. last effort was to say, hey, come and finish strong. And we had many students who've taken advantage of that opportunity. Have the parents over the course of this year been understanding of the need to go slow? Have you had a lot? I'm sure you've had many conversations with parents over the course of the school year, but did you get pushback on the one hand that you were going too quickly, on the other hand that you were going too slowly? What was the, what was the discussion like, the feedback loop like? You know what, Evan, two things that I know for sure. Actually, I know several, but I'll start with these two. Um, leadership matters, and it matters in a crisis. And then communication matters, and it certainly matters in a crisis. And so we've erred on the side of extreme caution, but also uh, making sure that we had uh, open lines of communication. And so since day one, not only would we have the principle of going as fast as we can, but as slow as we must, but we were intentional about the fact that we had to prioritize safety without sacrificing learning. And I began every conversation, whether it was a parent advisory, I have a parent advisory, we had parent town halls, we had parent uh, meetings, all but via Zoom for sure. And we've continued to have those. And we've talked about whether it was our protocols where you know we wore masks, period. Every student, anybody who entered our buildings, we have a, a universal mask mandate. Even when they said that students who were uh, younger than uh, primary school age, younger than 10, didn't have to. We said they had to. We had conversations with parents and they're like, well, I'm not so sure uh, my pre-K student is going to want to wear a mask. They won't wear one for me. And so I had teachers on the Zooms who said, ma'am, while uh, mom, while he may not wear one for you, he might wear one for, for his teacher. And what we found, again, I was on the campus today, every student had their mask on. So we've had universal masking since, since day one. Throughout our buildings, throughout whether you're on the campus or inside the building, we have Germex everywhere, hand washing stations. So uh, washing your hands. So wear a mask, wash your hands, and then of course watch your distance. And so um, those protocols have worked, and we've constantly communicated with our, our dashboards on every campus that tells you about all of the different open cases. Uh, we've been very intentional about uh, getting any type of feedback from parents. And when they were learning at home, we've opened up on Saturdays to show them uh, on a Saturday, on a day where there are no students, the different protocols so they can see how the building looks and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so we've taken lots of input from camp, uh, our parents, but uh, for the most part, they've been very thankful 
that we've been open to and left it up to them because yeah. I, I, there was a point where I could have said like some that we were going to end remote, but I recognize that the conditions in our district are different from conditions in some of the rural or surrounding areas. So who did you rely on Dr. Goffney to tell you how to approach the health protocol piece of this? I, I know that there was really no playbook for this. We haven't had a pandemic like this before. There's really no preparation for it. In some ways you're repairing the plane while it's in flight. So who did you turn to for guidance on mask policy, distancing policy, and so on? You know, that was, that was, that was tough because as you just alluded to, um, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of guidance. And then typically in Texas public schools, things kind of look the same. You know, you have the same guidelines, you have the same practices, same right. in general. They may look a little bit different, but they are be interpreted a little bit different. But it, it's pretty much the same. But this is the first time where even in Region 4, the Houston area, we were getting the same information, but we were having to respond differently because of the, the unique challenges of our family. So when we look at, um, um, relied on my colleagues for sure, across Region 4, seeing what they were doing. Number yep. two, information that we were getting from the Texas Education Agency uh, and the guidance they were providing and then the, the waivers that they were offering. Uh, number three, also just the, the local health officials. We have a strong partnership with the Texas uh, Children's Hospital. Uh, we also met with several uh, different healthcare providers around and got a little bit of feed, uh, feedback, but they were hesitant to tell us exactly what to do because as you know, um, unfortunately, this wasn't just a health crisis. It was also some political, um, um, political thoughts that infiltrated what we should or shouldn't do. And so it was really right. important that I uh, be mindful of, of the, the needs and the wants and the desires of our, our, our community in general. How much was the politics a factor in your decision? I mean, look, we, we had a situation where on the 2nd of March, Texas Independence Day, the governor declared independence from a mask mandate that he had put into effect. And then a couple of days later, all of a sudden, we no longer have a mask mandate. It sounds to me like you kept your mask policy in place even after that. But it tells me that you may encounter in the period of time after the governor lifts the mask mandate, some pushback from families who say, well, the governor says I don't have to wear a mask mandate. Why should the superintendent overrule the governor? Well, you know, and it, what, what we've done since day one, because just like the governor's announcement or uh, the commissioner's announcement or even uh, a local district's announcement, there were all kinds of ways in which people were interpreting things differently or saying they had to do things right. differently. And since day one, I think it was on your program, I said, we're going to make the best decisions for the community that we serve. And so while HISD or ALEAF ISD or SciFair ISD or some other ISD may say this, we're going to do what's best for our district. And so when the governor made the announcement, I had to listen to his words. He didn't mandate that you remove masks. He gave permission for those to remove masks. But we recognize that right. in our district, masks were the reasons why we were able to keep our schools open when others were having to close this campus or close this. And so right. um, our uh, community responded like immediately and said, please don't do this. Please don't do that. Uh, we recognize, or I'm going to pull my student and so on and so forth. So You were empowered to make a decision that was right for you. That's we were, I was empowered to make a decision. And while I, I, I kudos to those who made the decisions for the best, right. betterment of their communities, but for all Dean, I'm, you know, uh, charged right. with making the best decision for our community. Uh, there was a lot of talk uh, earlier this year, Superintendent, about the declining enrollment in public schools and plummeting attendance. How much of that was noise and how much of that was a reality that you've dealt with over the course of this school year? Evan, I wish it was noise. That is, that's the harsh reality of uh, this global pandemic. And it's hit us 
big time. Um, our teachers are doing a bang up job of going out. Uh, we launched all the CARES teams and so on and so forth. But the true reality is um, our primary and elementary was hit hard. We're down 4,000 students. And so we- You have about 67,000 students in the district, as I understand it. So you're about 4,000 down from, your, from what you should have. Enrolled. We started out 4,000 and we have uh, worked to, and of those 4,000, 1,800 of them uh, were pre-K and K. Yeah. And so um, we have been working with, again, tirelessly to, to locate those kids, especially the kindergartners, which we would have had an address for. But the challenge, I mean, I'm sorry, the ones who were pre-K and became kindergartners in our district, we would have had addresses for. But the majority, remember, uh, pre-K, they never will have enrolled. And some of our kindergarten students never would have been enrolled. So it was hard trying to find, find out where they were. And so um, we have done everything, including uh, going out to local communities, apartment buildings. We've uh, changed our marketing strategies. We've launched different uh, teams in the neighborhoods to just try to find our, our students. And so uh, we've uh, uh, worked to decrease that number. And now we're right at about uh, 3,000. And so we're very happy that we're moving and trending in the right direction. We've begun our uh, pre-K roundup earlier. And so I've been very intentional about those numbers. For, for next year. For next year. Yes, yes, yes. But no, unfortunately, it wasn't noise. It's, it's truly the it reality. reality. And of course, you know, you and I both know and others may know that that funding for public education is in part based on enrollment and attendance. And so there's a concern, present concern about that. Although this year you were held harmless for those declines, not next year. So we understand it. But, but separate and apart from that, if you have 3,000 kids who don't come to school this year, that's a setback for them, right? It takes longer to get them back into the swim and to get them back on the path to being educated, assuming you ever get them back at all. That's a pretty significant pothole in the road, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, which ties to, you said today, you're welcoming kids back again, which was one of the reasons why we did that today, because you know, Ho-Harm is very thankful for the, the work of uh, elected officials as well as, as well as our TA commissioner and all of those who were able to, you know, make sure that Ho-Harm was extended. We had some parents who said, oh, is Dr. Goffney just making kids come back because of the money? She wants to get that money. No, it wasn't <laughs> about the money. You know, uh, the way they did the Ho-Harm rules, we were, we definitely met that. In the fall, we had about 44% uh, of our students learning at school. And now we've uh, increased to about 56, 58 percent in and person, in, in person. person. Yes, right. sir. Yes, sir. Learning in school. And so all we had we've met the, the bar for the whole harmless. But what I'm worried about, which is as important as the whole harmless or even more important as the whole harmless, but the harm that's done to our students who have not engaged in the school system. And so uh, and the harm that's going to be done for you know uh, years to come if we were unable to get those students connected and engaged. Yeah. Can you quantify yet, or is it too soon, uh, what all of us outside of public ed have come to, to know as learning loss? Can, can, do, you, do you have a sense yet of how bad a mountain you're going to have to climb coming out of this year? So when I think about um, the students that we have on the rolls, we have about um, you know, the 64,000 that we do have, either learning at home or learning at school. And I just speak to that. Um, I, um, our team, we're approaching it as learning, learning recovery or unfinished learning. Yeah. Uh, and when we think about it, honestly, um, I am optimistic that it's not going to be as bad as it seems, but we're preparing for it, uh, 
the worst, but expecting the best per se, because I'm, I'm telling you, the one thing that I'm most proud of, and I guess it was if, if this had to happen and it ain't, nobody wants a pandemic to happen as they're transitioning as a new superintendent, but if it had to happen, it happened at a time in our district specifically where we had just launched a strategic plan uh, around five priorities. We just launched uh, a different uh, approach to literacy and we were looking at where we were and recognizing that we didn't want to stay there and yeah, how we're yeah. going to improve student achievement and do some things differently. And while I would have much preferred not to have a pandemic in the middle of the excitement of the new way forward, the fact that we had it, though, we have been able to make some, some lemonade out of these lemons, including the fact that we're now one-to-one. And we would have never been one-to-one uh, or it had taken so much time to get there, so many different resources that we didn't have access to prior to the pandemic. Yeah. And so as I think about the, the work that our team has done, our teachers have done to be intentional, uh, some of the, the learning engagement that I, I saw today and that I've seen throughout the year um, has been on par with the, the level of learning that was taking place uh, previously. So I am not, um, now this is one where I may be talking to you next year and, and eating my words, but I doubt it because I'm so, I have so much. Well, you're an optimistic person. And of course, yes, I'm but, I have, but then I'm seeing the work that our teachers are doing too. So well, well, you have a reason to be yeah. optimistic, but, and, and if I'm you, my attitude at this point is until we have evidence to the contrary, Absolutely. I'm going to hope that the learning recovery is not as much as we think, but the reality Absolutely. is superintendent, Dr. Crofty, you know that over this last year, something has to have been lost. Oh, lost, yes, 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 yes. And just thinking about just the, the trauma of not being able to, um, to experience a normal uh, calendar of activities, normal expectations of, of, you know, coming to school and all of that experience provided. Absolutely. And I recognize the community that I serve. There are some who are living in conditions like I was raised in and and there's no way I would have wanted to be at home with those different limitations. Right. And so I do, I do definitely recognize uh, the challenges and the loss and as I like to call it, unfinished learning. But I'm, right. I'm cautiously optimistic that it's not going to be uh, doom and gloom. You know that there was a decision made to not have the STAR test count toward accountability ratings for this year, but to, but to give the STAR test where possible mm -hmm. as a way to benchmark against last year and next year, try to understand all this. Is testing going to be the thing that tells you what the, what the mountain you have to climb, as I said, is learning recovery, or is it going to be something else? How will you know? What will your metrics be? Well, you know, I am thankful that uh, testing is not going to count towards uh, accountability. I mean, that was uh, kudos to those who made sure that uh, we wouldn't be penalized. And, you know, uh, there's always a lot of, of conversation around testing. And, you know, testing is not the bad thing. It's what we do with testing afterwards that sometimes can become, you know, um, an issue for most. But when you think about assessing where you are, and there's an argument about whether or not a toss, I mean, not toss, a star test. Star, yeah. about, but not, the test I took in high school was toss. Well, I mean, we, we seem to change the name every year. I mean, yes, you, you can be forgiven for forgetting. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so when you think about uh, the star test and actually um, what it's used for, I think pe what people use it for can definitely be uh, a conversation later. But for this, thinking about where we are right now, uh, we're using all types of assessment data to determine, you know, what our progress. We have our own universal screeners. We switched to a different um, a literacy curriculum. And so we have what's called M-Class. And so we're looking at progress from the beginning of the year, the middle of the year and end of year. 
Uh, we're also looking at attendance data. We're looking at our data from our teachers that they are getting. Um, I'm yep. sure, I think y'all did a, a report on the number of failures uh, of compared to those learning at home and learning at school, but yeah. looking at grades and specifically. And so of course, that's gonna be one more data point that we can assess in our district to see uh, where our areas of opportunity as well as um, where our celebrations, because like I said, I don't think it's going to all be doom and gloom. And I think that some of our teachers are doing a bang up job and yeah. uh, our leaders are doing the best they can in the conditions that we're in. And so I think it'll be a way of using all of the data, you know, all of the pieces, triangulating all the data and then make a determination how we can strategically um, um, address the areas of deficiency while also having the opportunity to celebrate uh, the areas in which um, there was there was great success. You mentioned your teachers a couple times. Uh, we've talked a lot about learning loss over the last months. I don't think we've talked enough about morale loss. Mm -hmm. You yeah. are managing a team of people who got into public education because they genuinely wanted to educate kids and to, and to do the work that they came to do. And yet this last 14, 15 months has not really allowed them to do it, at least in the way they'd want. What is the morale of your team? How are your teachers holding up in all this? You know, considering everything, and thank you for asking that question. Today starts uh, Teacher Appreciation Month, but it's Teacher Appreciation Week here. It's National Teacher Appreciation tomorrow. And so, um, again, I'm the eternal optimist, and I'm very thankful. I'm, I'm blessed to have a, a, a district filled with great leaders, but more so amazing teachers. Um, when you look at um, their, how they've shown up throughout this year, um, I couldn't be more proud. Uh, but I do recognize there have been some challenges. Uh, we have uh, teachers who've lost loved ones due to COVID, who have right. uh, their own personal struggles uh, because of this global pandemic that are also trying to make sure that they meet the needs of their students every single day. And so I do believe that there's a hit to morale, but I continue to see our teachers continue to show up like this this morning, they were dressed up in heroes capes and you know, laying out the, the red carpet for different students who were returning back that continue to show up day in and day out. But um, it's definitely a concern. And it's also a concern as we recognize the, the hill we're gonna have to, to climb moving forward in our le learning recovery. How much more can we expect our teachers to give? We've got to, um, so definitely we're all cognizant of that. And then how many are gonna leave the profession and not come well, back? Well, that, that's, that's kind of where I was going with this. You know, mm -hmm. we, we've all seen in different professions, look in journalism, Mm -hmm. At the Texas Tribune, we've seen mm -hmm. more people leave over the last year and decide to go to other places or to go no place just to stop working because this what you, you've heard referred to as pandemic brain. Right. People have pandemic brain after 14 months. They just need a break. So how much are you concerned I'm at a concerned. moment of great need that you're going to see <laughs> an exodus from the profession or an exodus from your district? I am very concerned. And yeah. it is um, even as we are. Um, making preparations for learning, learning recovery, being having to compete for teachers has already been an issue. It's already been a concern. It's already been yep. tough. And then we're asking you to do even more as we're going to address the, 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 I know they call it COVID slide, but then also just, we were already um, um, launching a new way forward and trying to just catch up in general. And so what is that going to mean for right. districts like mine that serves mostly black, brown and students of poverty for those teachers who can choose where they go? And so, right. yes, um, very concerned because we yep. got to have the very best teachers. And so um, I'm concerned, but I'm still hopeful.
Uh, tell me about, uh, uh, Dr. Goffney, the pivot to online. This really happened not at the beginning of this last school year. It happened in the middle of the second half of the last school year, right, where you stopped going to in-person school at the very beginning of the pandemic. Did, did it feel like at the beginning like you had an adequate plan in place or was it a scramble to make it work? Listen, I'm not that optimistic. It was a scramble to make it work. While um, in March of this time- uh, uh, Last year. Last year, you know, it's, these two years are running together, but sure. we just pivoted and uh, listen, they, our team was one of the first in the area to stand up on, online learning. And uh, we were, uh, the teachers were having to learn a learning management system and how to access, we have Schoology and all the PD that was surrounding it. So in this, uh, spring break that never ended, uh, it was just really just trying to, to stand up something so that our students could have uh, access to some type of learning. And at that time, remember, our students, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have, we had connectivity issues. Our students didn't have equipment at home. Well, let's say you have device availability issues, <laughs> you have Wi-Fi availability issues, you have yeah. them across the state, but as you point out, mm -hmm. you are, uh, uh, you have a school district where you have the majority of your students are students of color. Mm -hmm. These are communities of color, and we know that communities of color are more likely not to have access to high-speed broadband than the state and the main. So you're walking into all kinds of challenges here at the very beginning. At the yes, yes, and remember, you, we had a, a conversation about that, and so right, um, you are absolutely right. At the beginning, we were just trying to we were in reaction mode, and so that's why we spent the entire summer, our teams, our, our teachers, training and making sure that. Uh, you remember we said we we're going to go fast as we can and slow as we must. Well, we knew we were going to have to go slow. We got all of our teachers trained. We were working to get um, devices in every student's hands. And guess what? We ran into another issue, which I think is going to connect to the teacher issue that you just alluded to. Just like we were looking for devices for our children, so were every kid, every school district across the state and the nation was looking for devices. And so right. we didn't get our final device order in until this year. And even though we ordered them right. six, seven, eight months ago. And I think it's a supply chain issue like everything exactly. else during this pandemic, right? Exactly. And I think that's the same thing's going to happen with teachers. It's going to be hard to find yeah. those good yeah. teachers because I think there's going to be a, a supply and demand issue. Right. Did the state provide you with adequate resources through the TEA for the online learning piece of this when it had to get ramped up? I'm not looking to dunk on the TEA, but I just wondered to what degree was everyone left to fend for himself and herself, or was there a coordinated effort from the state to give people best practices and to guide them down the right path? Well, uh, for this issue, for sure, I'd have to give TA an A for this because uh, from day one, uh, there was a coordinated effort to get PPE in every teacher's hands and make sure every district had what they needed. In yep. addition, not just PPE, but cleaning supplies. And so all of the the masks, cleaning supplies, and all of those different things uh, from day one. In addition, um, um, the commissioner, he launched the uh, calls, the weekly calls, which were helpful because yeah. the information was changing. And you know, your decisions are only as good as the information you have. And so it was so nice to be able to log in every week or he started off twice a week, uh, being very responsive. In addition, he had some online tools. He had um, a whole website with, uh, with, lots of information that you could use to communicate with parents, communicate with your communities, to think about how you're going to do it at home learning. Um, there were several ways in which I believe that TA uh, helped us get through the toughest times of the pandemic. So you felt supported by the state through this. I mean, look, 
the reality is the reality. If it's good or bad, it's yes, good or bad. Sure. But, it's, no. but it's good to hear that at least you felt like you were not on an island somewhere. No, I still sometimes felt like an island, but it wasn't because of TA. It was just because of each island were connected and everybody was doing something different across the entire state. And so from a commissioner's standpoint, he had the, the rules, he had the mid, mid-size, he had the urbans, he had all of these different needs. And so to have a place where you could access information and learn about different things that were happening, because each call you hear about how others were addressing uh, right. different issues. And so that was beneficial. Um, so here we are. For, so, Dr. Goffney, we're for, just back to this question of online and the challenges you face. So we're 14 months, 15 months into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Again, you're going to come back in the fall. You won't be as much online as you are now. Probably have some people who remain online, but but but, you know, you're hoping to be back fully in the fall. Is device availability, is Wi-Fi availability still an issue today? Have you solved it or is it still a battle? No, uh, actually, it's not a battle. <laughs> we actually are very blessed. We have, we're one-to-one. Uh, we have uh, connect, we've addressed our connectivity challenges. And so today, that's today. what I said about the taking the, the lemons and making lemonade, a yeah. district like ours, that's, a, that's huge. It's made, it's made a difference. So, so let's talk again about your district. As I said, ne- nearly all students of color, I think 98% students of color by the last stats that I've seen. I want to ask you about your students specifically, what it's been like for them in a year in which every single day brought another tragic outcome in their communities, and what it's been like for you as a Black woman having to lead this district in an environment similar to the one that your students have been in. Unequal access to health care, unequal access to vaccines. I mentioned unequal access to high-speed broadband at a time when schools migrated online, disproportionate impact in communities of color of the winter storm. And I'm sorry to say, legitimate reasons to worry about every encounter with law enforcement. I mean, the fact is for for this community, your community, this last year has presented tragedy after tragedy. What's it been like for these students? Oh, um, I hope that it's been, um, I, can't, I really can't imagine because as you, you've alluded to, I, I, sometimes you forget about all the obstacles you've overcome. You right. know, and everything has been a battle. What I can tell you is the community, the, our elected officials have been amazing. We yeah. fought to get, at the beginning, remember, it was how can we get testing? And in our district, we had fewer testing sites than any other. And it was just like, you know, when you look at the positivity rates, we're here at Aldine but yet we don't have the, the testing sites. And so elected officials from Representative Wally, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee, uh, Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia and others, they came together and they opened testing sites. That was an, the initial issue. And then um, on the other side, in recent uh, uh, months, at the beginning, there were very few vaccination opportunities for, for our district, but the community came together to make sure that um, we did have vaccination opportunities for our, our staff, our, our community members, our parents, uh, and now we're working towards our students. But what I've found, as you alluded to, is when you're working with all of these different challenges, the most important asset you have are your community leaders, your community who can come together and be responsive, and you've got to have people who are advocating. And so that's what our district spends a lot of time advocating for uh, right. access that others have. Now, here's, so, something, yeah, here's something else about your district, Superintendent. You're 88% economic disadvantage mm-hmm. among your students, mm-hmm. which is significantly above the state's average of 60%, right? You, your, your students were already at risk 
before the last year. Mm-hmm. You had families that lost everything during the economic downturn or during the storm. Yep. You had probably a bunch of people who are not out of work before this, but who are out of work during this. Mm-hmm. How, how does that affect your ability to do your job, knowing that every student's and every family situation is a factor in their ability to get the kid to school and through school? But you know, Evan, I know the power of education. Yeah. So while I, I, we always respond, whether it's a clothing drive, a food drive, a water drive for the recent uh, issues that we face with um, the, the freeze, we, we, we can major in the, 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 those types of things by, um, and make sure that everyone has some of the social needs addressed, whether it's, like I said, food, clothing, toys, whatever. But one thing that we cannot um, allow is uh, or put a back, on a back seat is the educational experience, and so yeah. um, that's the driver for for our team um, to make sure that our students get an education because we know it's the only thing that's going to change the trajectory of their lives. And so while we can focus on the now and stay in the now and use it as an excuse, and I could easily go out and just you know talk about our poor district, talk about our poor this or our poor that. Right. But what I want to make sure of is that we leave, uh, you know, hope because, uh, and not just, I know hope's not a strategy, but while your current circumstances are what they are, if you want out, if you want a new way forward, then we've got to make sure that learning is also a major priority. Right. You know, it occurs to me as you talk about kids and families and how you care for everybody in your district, you were in the surrogate parenting business before all of this. And I have mm-hmm. to believe that you must be fully in it over the last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. you got to look after these kids as if these are your kids. Oh, right? and that's what I want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, my daughter actually goes to school in Aldine. She's at uh, Nimitz High School. And yeah. um, that's the, what I ask all of our teachers, all of our leaders, everyone to whatever you want for your child. Right. Look, look at these kids child. as if they're your kids because they are your kids. They are our children. Exactly. They are your kids. They are. Let me ask you some boring economics questions. Won't be boring to me. Maybe boring to you, <laughs> but I think it's going to be interesting. How, how much more ballpark? How much more did this year cost you than what you had budgeted? You know, the, um, when I told you that we had a great response from um, the, the, the city, our mayor, yep. the county, our county judge from TA, uh, with the CARES Act funding and what they were able to do to help us address the, 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 the devices and also the connectivity issues that we, challenges that we were facing. It ended up not costing us what we budgeted. In addition, with TA responding with the PPE equipment, it ended up not costing us as much as we had anticipated. And so while other districts may not be able to speak to it, but because of our need in our district, we had a lot of resource, access to resources. Yeah, um, that's great news. It wasn't um, as punitive as, as, as some. Are you, in, are you in a shortfall situation coming out of this year? No, sir, not at all. Actually, not, not at all. We've been intentional with... Um, our, um, we do priority, priority-based budgeting, and yeah. uh, we also have um, um, an awesome CFO, and we <laughs> we just we we're in a good, we're in really good shape. Uh, House Bill Three, remember our district benefited greatly from House Bill Three, and so right. super, super excited about what that's going to mean for us. And so, um, no, we're we're actually doing- your whole. Did did you have to lay anybody off? Did you have to cut any salaries? or hold back on raises, freeze hiring? Was that this kind of year? 
it was not this kind of year. It was a year if House Bill 3 had not been funded, uh, we would have been looking at some layoffs because 4,000 students decrease about holding at about uh, 3,000, then we would have had to eliminate some staff positions. But because House Bill 3 was fully funded, whole harmless was extended, then we're gonna have an opportunity to really get to work next right. year. Uh, do you have enough money to do what you need to do going forward? Sounds like you probably do. If you're not oh, in a shortfall situation, then you're probably okay. For sure, for sure. As we think about, um, we think about House Bill 3, we think about um, hold harmless that was extended a week or so ago, um, we finally got the release of our ESSER funds. And so when you look at uh, what that right. means. You mean the, you're talking about the stimulus money from the, the federal stimulus, government? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. The American Recoveries uh, funds. That Do you have any idea how much exactly you're going to get in your district? Have they given you the breakdown of that yet? It's about $235 million. In your district? In, our, in Alden, yes, sir. So that's how, how, how much is that compared to your annual budget? Uh, it's about 50% of our annual, but well, about 33% of our annual budget. Our annual budget is about a uh, little bit over uh, half a billion, about, and then special revenue, about 600 uh, million. So it, it's real money for us. It's, it's huge. How will yeah. you use that money? Well, you know, I think that, um, it, I say this, my grandmother used to say it all the time, to whom much is given, much is required. And so the thing that I recognize is all of these things that have happened are going to help us to really hone in on and move our district forward. And, you know, I, uh, we are very uh, thankful that we don't just throw everything up against the wall to see what sticks. But we have launched a strategic plan and we have those strategic priorities and there are five. And so everything that can help us to get better faster, in my opinion, uh, goes into three or four baskets if you can. Time, and so we're looking at additional time for our students to have access to, to learning, whether it's extended school day, um, our summer learning activities that we're planning for the summer, uh, summer camps. We have ADSY where we're extending the school year for two of our campuses where they're gonna start early July. We have, um, uh, ways that we have Saturday school. So what we're going to do with time. And then of course, what we're going to do with our talent, you know, we said earlier that we're going to have a shortage of teachers and with those lower numbers, it could have been um, what we were going to have to um, through attrition, not fill some positions, but because uh, of the ESSER funds, we'll be able to, to keep our class sizes small. So we're going to have invest in talent. And then of course, the last one I call tools, but my Chief Academic Officer, he calls Tier 1, but thinking about how we're going to make sure that our students continue to have access to devices. And then, of course, the one that I think is a real game changer uh, is high-quality instructional materials. Uh, no more uh, going and printing um, worksheets off of Teachers Pay Teachers or Pinterest, but having high-quality instructional materials so that our students can have ac access to high-quality instruction. And so when we think about uh, the, the fact that many teachers are going to leave and we're not going to we're going to uh, have uh, uh, opportunities to uh, to continue to recruit and retain the best teachers. We've got to make sure that they are teaching with the most high quality materials. And so we've seen even during COVID, we've seen growth in that as we've launched our new literacy uh, approach to. Uh, and so anyway, so time, talent and tools. And of yeah. course, tier one, because we can't intervene our way out of this. We've got to still continue to provide solid whole group instruction and then be able to fill in for the unfinished learning that's happened as a result of COVID.
extraordinary it took a pandemic to get you to high quality instructional materials. Well, actually, uh, we were, remember, I'm still a new superintendent. I'm starting my right. third year, but nothing's been normal. <laughs> right. And so we had launched a, uh, we launched a strategic plan and it was called A New Way Forward. And I'm not kidding, it was. And so part of that included what we're doing for student achievement. And so we've gone through curriculum audits and we've looked at uh, different approaches and think, thought about how we compare to other urban districts across the state. And uh, although we're, outpacing, we're outpacing many um, um, in 2019. We wanted to make sure that we continue to, to move forward. And so everything that we had launched from, if, just give me a minute. I know you probably have some questions, but I, I just want to brag a minute on how everything's happening at, at the right time. Because think about it. Our first strategic priority was around student achievement. And so part of that was addressing the, the concerns that were mentioned during our curriculum audit that included our approach to literacy. We launched a new literacy approach during COVID. And when I tell you that it was, um, it was a courageous decision, but um, when you hear from teachers, you don't have to hear from me, you don't have to hear from leaders. When you hear from teachers, the power of what's happening in all of our classrooms as a result of our new uh, literacy approach, it is phenomenal. Number two, we, our second priority was around uh, school culture and how we're gonna help uh, address our students' social emotional learning. Uh, we had only launched with the social emotional learning executive director who came in looking, listening and learning. And so this past year, we have social emotional learning specialists. When I tell you that has been a real game changer for us as well, uh, we've had situations in which our, um, our social emotional learning specialists have had to go to homes. Uh, they've gone to classrooms, they've gone to assist teachers, uh, we needed them prior to the crisis, prior to COVID, but during COVID, they've been able to really um, hone in on their skills and been a real advocate for um, social emotional wellness and trauma-informed practices and how we're uh, multi-tier levels of support. It's just been powerful. But those, all this was launched before the pandemic and during the pandemic, it's even been more so. Uh, in addition to that, we had mission-driven leadership in which we talked about our leadership definition, uh, organizational efficiency, which helped uh, bring in more technology. And then last, but certainly not least, but just as important is our, our focus on family and community engagement. There's no, no other time when family, community, parent engagement has been more important. You know, muffins with moms and donuts with dads used to be popular. But when you had parents who had a direct look into every single classroom, think about it. When our kids were, and our students were logging on, all of our parents were in our schools. And right. so we had to approach right. that so much diff more differently. And to the issue that you addressed earlier on how we met the needs of our community, our, our family community engagement um, executive director wasn't hired until uh, right after the pandemic had started. And when you see the work that she has, her team have done, a small team uh, during COVID, she said, oh, I thought I was going to be able to travel and find the best practices for launching a family community engagement office. But literally, she, they've had to hit the floor running because there have been so many different yeah. needs from food drives and water drives and clothes drives and all kinds of different things to meet our parents' uh, needs. And so everything that we're doing, to your point, is not about COVID. It's, a, it's bigger than COVID. It's, you, it, know? It's, you know what, uh, Superintendent, it's a year of silver linings. Weirdly. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, LaTanya Goffney, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, the Texas Association of School Administrators, 
the Texas Association of School Boards, Raise Your Hand Texas, Philanthropy Advocates, Educate Texas, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.